Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, how you doing? I'm Mariah Rose. I felt like you almost forgot to introduce yourself for I a did. second. I did. Okay. <laughs> I could see it in your eyes. The panic. Who am I? <laughs> I've never done this before. <laughs> Every time feels like the first time. Hey, we're getting up there, by the way. When I was looking to see what episode this was, it's 144. Good grief. Pretty high. I mean, we were going really fast when we were doing every week for that first year, and then we went to every two weeks, so slowed down, but we're still getting there. Yeah, but believe it or not, folks, we procrastinate on every episode. I think they believe it. (laughs) We actually had really big plans for this episode and then um, didn't get around to being able to do enough research, but we will do that episode still and you guys will be very happy about it because it's cool. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff going on and actually part of the reason that we were delayed in our research is because you were working on a big project last weekend. Yeah, I was. Um, I had gotten tasked to do a music video for a surf rock band from Maine. Uh, a buddy that I am friends with is got this really great kind of horror-themed surf rock band called Shriek If You Know What I Did Last Friday the 13th. <laughs> Rolls uh, right off the tongue. Yeah, really easy to remember. It's super fun, and uh, you know the whole feel of their band is all shot on video stuff. So when he saw the music video for the Blood Relations track, uh, Heartvine, that mm-hmm. I shot on that high 8mm camera. Yeah. He asked if I'd be willing to do something like that for his band, and of course I, I did. So it was a lot of fun. It was a family affair. It's old school, shot on video, you know, home movie style. It's kind of my love letter to Don Doler and Galaxy Invader and Night Beast, mixed a little with Dial Code Santa Claus at the end, where the kid kind of uh, takes matters into her own hands and and battles the alien, but it it was a lot of fun. So if you would like to check it out, it's on YouTube. Uh, you just look it up. The song is called Necro Cannibal, and for uh, a few people, they'll recognize that. It's actually a cover of a mortician song, so uh, shout out to Grizz and Mike from Bad Taste Video because they're both huge mortician fans, and I know Grizz likes... Uh, death metal surf covers so this is <laughs> right up his alley it's a very so, niche thing to it like it is a niche thing but once you've heard it you can see why it's really fun to hear it's those great. kind of covers and i think these guys did just such a killer job adapting this song into a surf song because it sounds like their song you wouldn't know yeah. it's a, a death metal song so really good job anyway yeah that's what i was up to and that video just came out and we need to talk a little bit about that process because it was so fun so you play the part of an alien in it and we've got our children one of our 50 billion dogs betty sprinkles has yeah. a cameo a in there cameo. she gets zapped by a laser <laughs> <laughs> and she looks so dumb too <laughs> yeah, so sweet and dumb she is sweet but she looks dumb because she is but we love her anyway and one of our children is a hero and really hammed it up so it's great she did so well yeah, yeah it, they, they had a blast so that was a lot of fun it's it's cool because the last video i did was a, you know a really serious music video that was high production so it was really fun to kind of go back to the roots of just picking up a camera and shooting and to give that authentic shot on video homemade movie feeling it was mm-hmm. important to me to have every member of the family hold the camera for some shots because (laughs) 
uh, everybody else but me does not kind of comprehend zooms and steady cams and stuff <laughs> like that. And so that shaky, where am I looking quality, mm-hmm. it really adds to the authentic look. And the shakiest shot of all, I believe, is mine. Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> the best was when our oldest daughter did this whole shoot of me doing like a kickflip on a skateboard as an alien and missed it. And I said, well, I guess I got to do it again. Let me see the footage. And I'm, it's just the top half of me. <laughs> and I said, why are you so close? And she said, well, that's just how it looks. And I said, zoom out. And she didn't realize there was a zoom button. Aww. So she had just been shooting everything maxed out at the, at the highest zoom in. So it's Aww. just like super close up of my face instead of the entire scene around me. And she missed your super rad kickflip. Well, I just did it again, which was a surprise because, as you know, I mean, I used to skate every single day, multiple times a day. And then when we moved to New Mexico, I didn't have any friends to go skate with. And I just kind of haven't been out. So this is no joke. I have not been on a skateboard in at least a year. So I was shocked that in an alien costume, it took me maybe three, four tries and I was able to still do a kickflip. It was a small victory. It was good. It was a great kickflip. Anyway, that's, yeah, that was what was going on with us this last week or so, was getting that video done. What do you got going on? I've been going to the gym with my mother, who is in her 60s. Wow, okay, cool. What else? Yep, I have hit several new PRs this week, so super proud of that. <sighs> you, this, this is the thing I don't like. You're using weird gym lingo now. PR is not a big deal. It is. But I will tell you, I offset it by naming exercises as I think they should be named in my own mind. So I, I appreciate that one. Oh, good. You also took it upon yourself to decide to do a mosaic um, <laughs> tiling over our entire fireplace. Yeah, we have a big fireplace. It's boring. So I did a mosaic and I should have put it off. Because I'm also finishing up, it's like clinicals section for my um, 500 hour yoga teacher training over the next uh, couple weeks. So I'm going full steam ahead on that. And I decided why not give myself an insane alternate project while working on a show and carting our children to all of their various activities and clubs. All right. As everybody up to date on our personal lives. When you said alternate project, you know what I thought about? What? Remember Chris Gaines, Garth Brooks' (laughs) alternate ego? (laughs) Man, I'm so sad that wasn't in the 80s. You know what's weird is I have heard so much about Chris Gaines just randomly in this last week, probably more than I have in the last decade. Really? Yeah, it just keeps coming up. People keep referencing it. Now I'm wondering, is it he like making a comeback? Is it something <laughs> Chris like Chris Gaines comeback? From the collective subconscious that's bubbling up and we're all reacting. It's like a political firestorm and we just are like short circuiting and we're like Chris Gaines. You know what I would love? Because you know all these returns of like uh, Bill and Ted, you know, had to have a new one. Mm-hmm. Like all these uh, rehashing old films and stuff that haven't been around that it it manifests in a a new Chris Gaines album. Yeah. That's the nostalgia has taken to such extreme levels that we get a new Chris Gaines album. Very nice. Okay. Well, if you're listening to us for the first time, welcome. Uh, We're a podcast about (laughs) the 80s. Can you imagine? (laughs) I feel like it was trial by fire just then. (laughs) You heard about our (laughs) personal schedules with kids and yeah, Chris Gaines. It's all good. Okay, well, this week we are talking about a really cool one. This was a first-time watch for you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'll get into it in a second, but before we do, let's get into the trailer. This week we are talking about the definitely uh, overlooked gem, 1981 Strange Behavior, a.k.a. Dead Kids. Strange Behavior, a movie of mystery, horror, and suspense. Unnatural picture begins to form in my mind. They're gonna strap me into some chair and pull out of my grace. Would you just here. wait a minute and listen to me? Two sessions, two days, a hundred bucks a day. Behavior is nothing more than the sum of the mechanical activities <laughs> of our bodies. I was just wondering, are you doing anything tonight? Oh, two. He's dead. And the dead don't come back and take revenge. We've heard your views on our work in the past, Mr. Brady. Save the crap for somebody else. You got a list of people in the program? Now just relax, Pete. It'll be over in no time. It started all over again. Let me go! Let me go! What's wrong? Mr. Brady, I see you found your way. Pete, are you ready? The choice is yours, Mr. Brady. Either give him the gun or shoot him. The choice is yours, Mr. Brady. Oh, what did you do to my kid? What did you do? Strange behavior. Okay, Strange Behavior. This is an interesting one. I watched it for the first time last year. I had never heard of it. I knew the cover, Dead Kids. I didn't realize that was the same film. It just, you know, was under a different release with a different cover art. And uh, a a friend of ours, um, a director I work with, Brandon, up in Canada, done multiple films with now. We're actually finishing up a new one, but I'm not going to plug it yet because I want to make it special. Oh. Is uh, he shares a lot of very similar tastes with movies with me. Like we, we often give each other ideas of of films to watch because we have such similar tastes. And this was one that he recommended to me said, I would really like it. And I watched it and I was just kind of blown away by it because it's just so interesting and cool and different. So I watched it, I fell in love with it. And then I tried to track it down and the tape is not easy to find. I tried you know, finding it cheap. I tried thrifting and trading and nothing. And then not too long ago, I'd say maybe a month ago or so, I was going down to work on my parents' house. And on the way up, I stopped in this little thrift store. They had some tapes and I, what you should always do to to fellow tape collectors is always ask, um, hey, I'm just passing through. Do you have any more in the back and play that card? And oftentimes, because they want to get rid of their VHS and are confused why you would want to buy it in the first place. People are always confused. They're very confused. But they'll, if they do have them in the back, sometimes we'll bring them out. And in this case, this lady was very generous and she brought out tubs and tubs of tapes. And one of them was just filled with like some really incredible movies. I couldn't believe what I was finding. And sitting in there was strange behavior. So... That was the find for me, and I was so excited to have it on tape, and that meant that I could show it to you. So that is how we got to me making the selection this time. You and did. No choices for me. Yeah, I just figured why even you know dance around it. I, I, I thought you might like it, but I'm curious to know your thoughts on it. 
I really liked it. I mean, there are certainly 80s problematic issues, but overall, it was really interesting and different. And I didn't feel like I had seen this movie already. So many of these films that we watch, uh, yeah, and especially like teen slasher types, you know what you're in for. It's great, it's satisfying, but the teen slasher trope is such, it's like a a blazed, flattened path. You know exactly where you're going. And this one was a little different. I mean, I kind of figured it out, but still, it was, it was cool. It was something different than what we usually see. And there are some weird little funky bits to it that made it a yeah. little arty and strange. It's definitely got a strange tone to it. That's mm-hmm. what I love about it, is it's not your typical film. So something that I find fascinating about this movie is that it is from 1981, which is an early film for us to cover. We typically do movies that are 86, 87, 88. Like that's kind of our sweet spot on the podcast. And here's something that I picked up on, and I don't know if you did, is typically when we do an early 80s movie, they feel like late 70s movies. They always feel older than they are. This one, on the other hand, to me, if you had not told me the year... I would have never guessed 81. I would have said probably 86, 87, because it feels a little bit more like your classic mid-80s films. And why that is, is because later in the 80s, you get this kind of revival and homage to the 50s sci-fi films, like uh, Not of This Earth that we did on the podcast with Tracy Lord's good one, Mm -hmm. Killer Clowns we did. You know, these films that are like kind of throwbacks to the the 50s sci-fi thing. This is doing it in 1981. So interestingly, it's actually like ahead of the trend that would come later in the 80s. And I think that to me is why this feels older than it feels uh, like it's a later 80s film because it would fit with those ones better. Okay. I don't know. That was just my read on it. I just thought it was kind of interesting that they were trying to make an homage to a 50s style film. And in doing so, we're so far ahead of where we were going in the 80s that it makes it seem more contemporary. Before we get into the film itself, let's talk a little bit about kind of who made it and the production and stuff, because that is another thing that makes this film interesting. This was directed by Michael Laughlin. He is an American director. He's from Illinois, from Chicago, I think. They partnered with Australia to shoot it over there. I'm thinking just for cost, probably, or locations. And they get over there, and I think, I'm not quite sure how the story goes, but it's like they weren't finding the right location to look like small-town America. And so they ended up moving the production over to New Zealand, to Auckland, New Zealand, and that's where this was shot. So interesting because the cast, for the most part, are American. So unlike most films that are shot overseas but are supposed to be American Mm -hmm. and they're just doing horrible accents... This actually works. So it is believable to some degree. Some of the extras, though, are very clearly not American. And it's like, (laughs) whoa, bud. (laughs) The little kid with the flowers. (laughs) That was awesome. That was weird, too. Yeah. And this was written by Bill Condon. And he would go on to have quite a career, not only writing, but directing. So he did Gods and Monsters. He did the Candyman sequel, Farewell to Flesh. But then he went on to do really big ones like Dreamgirls couple of the Twilight movies, uh, the Beauty and the Beast remake, like the live action one. So he went on to have a pretty major career, but he wrote this one. And the two of them, Michael and Bill, 
their intention was to do this trilogy of stories that were all throwbacks to 50s, like strange stories and huh. odd tales like the Twilight Zone. Oh, good. I was getting uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark Nickelodeon vibes. <laughs> You're a 90s kid. Yeah, I am. And so they all, the tie-in was to all have strange in the title. So this was the first one, Strange Behavior. The second one was called Strange Invaders. And then there was supposed to be a third one, but because these did not, they were not well received. No. They scrapped it and that trilogy never happened. But I really like the idea of making a collection of films based around, you know, a theme throwback to something. So cool. And then the last big part of the production that we need to discuss is the music because... People who love 80s movies and 80s film scores, especially synth scores, love Tangerine Dream because they are heavy, heavy hitters when it comes to classic 80s film scores. I mean, the ones that you would know them the best from are Legend, which we've covered. Mm -hmm. The Keep, which we have not covered The Keep. We really should. I don't think I've seen The Keep. Keep is awesome. Uh, They did Near Dark. Miracle Mile is another one I've been trying to get you to watch. An awesome post-apocalyptic one. Well pre-post-apocalyptic. How can you be pre-post? Because it's the event leading up to... Like, it's the night of the event, basically. Okay. I love those types of films. There's a couple of them out there. I'm struggling with pre-post, but okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, Tangerine did the the score, and it's really, really good. It's awesome. Never got released, like a few of their films, like The Keep. Never got a a soundtrack release until this year? No, last year. Uh, Terror Vision, which is a really cool kind of boutique label, has done Killing Spree and The Gate and a couple cool ones. They finally put out Tangerine Dream's uh, score for Strange Behavior, and I don't have it, and I really, really want it because it's the full score. Put it on your birthday list. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm this old and still have a birthday list Mm -hmm. because you insist on it. I do. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, that is the production of Strange Behavior. It's actually an interesting group. They were all good at what they did. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just a strange combination of New Zealand, Australia, and America coming together to make a movie. You know what? New Zealand holds a strange place in my heart because uh, my parents had two choices. We were living in Montana when I was a child. And they were trying to decide between going to New Zealand and moving to New Mexico. (laughs) It was going to be new regardless. It had to be new. And they chose New Mexico just because they wanted to be stay close to family. But fun fact about it, I met you within a week of moving to New Mexico. So it was a serendipitous choice. But also part of me always has been like, could I have an accent? What if there was a doppelganger of me in New Zealand that you could have met also? Oh, that was the exact same as you, but with a better accent? Oh, whatever. <laughs> the hurt on your face. <laughs> Every time I think of New Zealand accent, I have to think of Murray and Brett and Jermaine Brit. from the, Flight of the Concords. <sighs> Let's watch it again. Yeah. Bowie in space. Okay. Well, let's start talking about this actual movie instead of New Zealand. Well, I mean, it's kind of cool. Speaking of New Zealand, we were going to do, a few times we've considered doing Dead Alive and Meet the Feebles, Peter Jackson films, oh, yeah. 
and we keep putting it off, but we will get to them because I'm a huge Peter Jackson fan and we haven't done either one of those. So All right, so let's go into this though. So this movie kind of starts out in a fun way because we have this teenager at home being a teenager. Also, just let's touch on this briefly. All of the teenagers in this are not teenagers, or are they? Because in the 80s, you were like 10 years older than you looked because they didn't have any skin creams or like sunscreen. So I'm a little un- unclear. I don't know. I hadn't given it that much thought. You're lot. really obsessed I'm so with tired of the thinking age about of it. actors. They're, they're adults. They're not teenagers. Anyway, an adult teenager is smoking. There's a blackout. Uh, like the light goes out, which plays a big role in the first two minutes of this movie and then in no way plays a role in the rest of the movie. Yeah, that is kind of a dead end, isn't it? I was mm-hmm. trying to think about that. Like, was that because of some experiment that was going on and that's, you know, they were draining the power for things? But then... Later on, there's nothing that would have caused that experiment. They didn't seem to be doing electrical experiments at all. Yeah, there's a few parts of this film. We're not saying it's perfect. No. But there's a few parts that don't quite... They're like, they're loose ends. Wabi-sabi. Perfectly imperfect. Anyway, the kid goes down to like flip the breaker or something in the basement and decides to make shadow puppets, which I loved. And then he gets stabbed to death. But it was a really good intro, the shadow puppet part. Yeah, this is an interesting film right from the beginning is we were talking about this hard to explain, but the tone of this is really interesting because throughout it's fun, like the leads are really good at what they do. They're Mm -hmm. really likable, but when it gets serious and spooky, it's really kind of unsettling in some of the parts. There's a couple scenes that are Mm -hmm. like really off and, and disturbing. Yeah. So it's like, whoa, you know, when it when it decides to turn that page, it really goes in. And I like that about this film because it's there's something unsettling about it that you can't quite put your finger on what type of film you're watching as you're watching it. Well, and speaking of that very fact, the next scene after the little intro threw me for a major loop. So there is a man shaving in the bathroom. There's more of the light flickering. And then... He asks for a towel because he's cut his face. <laughs> and a nude man, we see his butt, comes up and gives the man a towel. And I'm like, this is kind of progressive. We've got a gay relationship in 81 as like our main characters. Nope, it's a father and son. That is a really weird scene. And I didn't know if that was like something to do culturally, but it wouldn't be because... What culture is that normal? It's an American director, so... Don't even care. That was weird. That yeah. was That was straight weird. If my teenage friend uh, came up and was like, yeah, I'm just like naked around my dad. <laughs> I'd be like, that's... I'm like, if you're in a dressing room or like showering at the gym, I guess. But just... It was weird. It was. Well, there's a few moments in this film that don't age well, but they're hilarious at the same time. Yeah. Because they're so 80s. One that's not hilarious, but just doesn't age well, is when they're talking about this 13-year-old that likes to party and put out. Yes. Although the shot of going to her, Mm -hmm. um, when we get there, we'll discuss because it's so beautifully filmed. Like, that's one aspect of this whole film. Is the cinematography is is really incredible. There's some 
amazing shots in this film that people don't even notice. Yeah, you wouldn't notice them unless that was what you were looking for. But once you draw your attention to it, absolutely. Although the next shot after the shower scene, and I'm not going to walk through this, but this next shot is burned into my brain. Like there is a new neural pathway where I'm going to store garbage like this. The dad was at the kitchen table (laughs) trimming his toenails. Yeah, that's really gross. I was more disturbed by that than any other scene in this entire film. What kind of monster? It's really gross. Yeah, that might be the... Yeah, the most disturbing scene of this film. Of any film ever. It (laughs) was a live toenail trimming shot. I feel like I've seen another movie where somebody's trimming their toenails or nails at the table. I don't know. know. Maybe that was just a thing. I worked at a nursing home once and I walked into a room to like change some towels. And there was a nurse trimming an old man's toenails and I died. That day, I just died. <laughs> when you see old people's toenails, exactly. they're like demon talons. You know that scene in Austin Powers <laughs> with the, when he pulls out <laughs> the like saw, <laughs> like sander to get them down. That's so what good. I always think about when I look at old people's toenails. We also hear me, so that's the father and son, they're on their own, and I guess they have like a part-time housekeeper named Mrs. Haskell. Just kind of keep her in your mind because we'll come back to her. We also learn that the mayor's son is missing and that the dad is a police officer. These are all important details that will continue to pop up in the movie. The son is a high school te- or a high school student, but like on the brink of going to college. And there's this whole drama. He's wanting to apply to a college and he needs money. He needs cash money. So his bud says, guess what? There's this lab and you can do an experiment at this lab and get money. And so he goes there to like sign up and ends up sitting in on, a, I think, a college class. And the instructor is a dead man or yeah. so that said. It's like pre-recorded. You know, this premise is actually pretty cool because we just covered it a couple weeks ago with Nightmare Weekend. The same idea that students like need some cash. So mm-hmm. they're willing to oh, kind yeah. of put themselves in a weird situation in order to get the money. I think that's a good setup for a film in general because people really will do strange things if they need cash. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, speaking of bad taste video, they just covered House of the Devil, a film that we really love. Um, and the that whole thing starts with the babysitter needing some cash too. Yeah. So she takes this really weird job. And I was thinking about that. Like that's the same idea here is it's a good way to jump into any strange situation in a film mm-hmm. by just saying, well, I don't know. I need the cash and they're giving it to me. So I'll go check it out. Do you, do you want to know? I think I know what our weirdest job for money was. Oh, we had a couple weird ones. We, we've taken some on together. It's always those weird odds and ends. But I'm immediately thinking of the time that we were hired to paint clouds in a baby's room. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> hey, man, money's money. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so he, uh, the son, whose name is Pete, is at this, like, 
college class waiting to sign up to join the um, experiment or whatever to get $200. But he happens to view an experiment with a chicken where they've made a chicken smart by like putting an antenna on its head. And now it can like lift one claw and the other and then look at people. <laughs> yeah. Pete is great, too. He's a, uh, He does a really good job in this film. He, yeah. He, because he's funny and charming and weird, but then he's also really serious when he needs to be. Mm-hmm. And did you recognize him right away? Yes. So Pete is played by Dan Shore, and you are surely right if you recognized him from Bill and Ted. He is Billy the Kid. Yeah. It's kind of cool to see Billy the Kid get a lead role. He's actually got a pretty successful career, but that's the only one we primarily care about. Yeah, I believe it. He's a good actor. Yeah, he did a great job in this. He is. Good job, Dan Shore. I had to look at my notes. (laughs) That's why there... know his name. That's why there was an awkward pause. Okay. (laughs) So... Uh, Pete gets an appointment the next day at three to go and have an experiment. And now let's meet dad's girlfriend. The dad's girlfriend, you will immediately recognize. Her name is Louise. And this is just like a little taste of Louise. She has a good relationship with Pete. She's in there like supporting him, even though she's not his mother. But she is played by Barbara Moorhead, who you know is Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, who terrified me as a kid when I first saw that film. You saw that as a kid? Yeah, for sure. Well, we had it in that, you know, I've talked about this before. The films that really stand out to me are ones that my dad, when we first got a VCR, you know, I was real young. I don't know, maybe seven or something. And no, it would have been later than that. I was maybe nine. And my dad got a VCR and brought it home and his buddy from work bootlegged a bunch of movies from his personal collection so that we could watch movies because, you know, you they were like a hundred bucks to buy back then. And a bunch of those movies on there, you know, they're like three movies per recorded tape. Mm-hmm. And so those ones are the ones that, you know, surprise I love. Escape from New York and House 2 and Clash of the Titans. All my favorite films are from those tapes. But there were some really weird ones in there. And uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was in there. House on Sorority Row was there. And I loved that film. But then there was some weird ones like <laughs> Lady Chatterley's Lover and stuff. Oh. I put it on. I'd be like, oh, I'm too young for this. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to watch it. And uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 was on there. So all these films, and that was one of them, was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I'll never forget her role in that is really good. I mean, she's just incredible. And then I also saw Flowers in the Attic later. And she's really scary in that. So because I already knew her as a very scary actor... Uh, when I saw her in this the first time, I was like waiting for her to be bad, like mm-hmm. evil. And she's just not. She's sweet. <laughs> but she has such a like evil looking face Aww. because of her other roles. It just means she's a good actress. Yeah. Also, I got to say, my mother also had a boss who recorded everything onto VCR tapes his name was Jennings, and he was a really old man, and all of his labels, like, he wrote in a weird, like, alien language. It was the weirdest thing. But he, instead of horror movies, recorded Anne of Green Gables. Which oh, man. 
I loved, which is probably why I'm a redhead today. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that, you know, there was something cool about those days of having all the home recorded movies because, you know, that's where I saw Legend for the first time Mm -hmm. also was one of those films. I think I saw Legend on one of your tapes. That's not a surprise. Yeah, I would watch them a lot. I mean, I'd watch them until they'd break. But what I did like was, and some people would do this, my dad's friend as like an added bonus, made a key to the tapes. So they would have a numbering system. And then there was a master list that we had by the remote where you could look up like cross-reference and be like, oh, on tape seven, these are these movies. That's So we had a working, like a library, like a data list of all the movies we had in a little, not a binder. It was like stapled together, you know, some sheets. But that was really cool. That's a lot. It was, but it reminds me of now, you know, in the modern age, like for my record collection, I have um, a Discogs app that I link to so that I can go alphabetically if I'm looking to see, like when Mm -hmm. I'm thrifting, this used to happen all the time before I had an app, I would find a record and be like, oh, I have to have that, buy it, and then realize I had already owned it twice because I always forget what I have on certain records, you know, some random Black Sabbath record. And so when I got that app, I could, when I find it, look it up real quick and go, oh, no, I already have it. I'll leave it for somebody else. But it reminds me of that, like an immediate reference to your media collection. And I just, I don't know. Those are the little things that I kind of am nostalgic about. Yeah, that, like mixtapes, too. Oh, yeah, we're still talking about a movie. Okay, so we meet Louise. She's great. She gives... Pete, a motherly smooch on his cheek. He's off to a party. We get that shot that you mentioned earlier of a 13-year-old girl sneaking out to go to this party. Or dude's talking about a 13-year-old girl. It's a little unclear if the sneaky out girl is 13. Yeah, and he's like, uh, you know, that's fine by me. And But the shot is amazing because it goes from them in the car and then it kind of pans across this... Um, across the house like the front of the house Mm -hmm. and then does this beautiful kind of crane shot that goes right up to the second story window of her sneaking out and then goes back down to the parents below being like what's that noise and just the whole shot it didn't really need to be in this film like that nice of a shot but it was but it was and there's a few times in this film i'll talk about one other in particular that I, I think this is another thing that I just love about this movie is you've got this score by Tangerine Dream and then you've got this cinematography that's just better than it should be. So it's like on the on the whole, you're taking a pretty low budget feeling 80s horror movie, but you're adding in all these little interesting touches mm-hmm. that make it just stand out a little. Yeah, it's very interesting. And actually, that leads me to the next scene of this dance party, because it's a full, like, sweat dance party, but there's some choreography involved. Everybody's wearing costumes. Of course, there has been no mention of Halloween, so it's just a random costume party, but everybody is deep in it. Most troublingly, there is a person wearing a plastic mask that looks like the girl from Wendy's. It's very unsettling. Possibly Pippi Longstocking's. Not sure. It's my favorite scene in this whole movie. So good. The party scene of this movie is so incredibly cool. It's weird. It's quirky. It's interesting. It's like they're doing synchronized dance. And 
um, I didn't know this, and but it made sense when I read up on it, is every costume intentionally is a character from a 60s um, TV show. So oh. we've got Batman and Robin. Yeah. We've got Lily Monster. I Dream of Genie. Like uh-huh. all these, uh, the Flying Nun, all these yeah, characters. I see it, totally. And they're so cool. And the other thing about this film, I don't know how they cast them, but everybody's so cool looking. Like the women are all like babes. Like the Lily Monster character, she looks so cool. Like yeah. she's really cool looking. And, you know, so I just, I don't know. It adds to the quality of this film where she's doing this crazy dance and it looks like she's having a good time, but she's dressed as Lily Monster and it just... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It makes the overall kind of quirkiness of this film just really special and unlike anything I had really seen before. And also the soundtrack here is great. Yeah. So they're blasting uh, lightning striking again. Which I love. Yeah, you do love that. And I guess it's because it was maybe the writer's like one of his favorite songs. So he really wanted it in there. I love that song. And it just adds to the kind of strangeness of it. Mm hmm. It's great. And then we have a character named Waldo, who you've kind of met a few times. Don't worry about it. He's obnoxious. He's he's a real Chris Gaines. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> the one that's dressed as a cowboy? Yeah. So there's a couple scenes in this party um, moment that's happening that includes him, too. But if I was talking about the cinematography. Mm-hmm. This is the other part of the entire film that I love, is there is a couple tracking shots in this party where it's just really long takes, but you don't realize that it's all one take because it's moving back and forth between different actors as they're talking yeah. and interacting. Next time you watch it, or to those of you who watch it for the first time, pay attention to the party scene cinematography because it's just so well done. It's really cool, and it gives you an instant like feeling of the mood. You can tell all of those actors were into it. They were sweating. They were present. And you just feel like you have been at a party it's after you watch so, that. Like a really fun party. Heck yeah. I've like, never be been that to party. that cool of a party. <laughs> yeah, that, I would. I mean, I'm a fan of any costume party, but that kind of costume party would be amazing. Okay, yeah. So let's go back to that, dude. Okay, so Waldo leaves the party. He's obnoxious. He's just a loser. Uh, he's made bad jokes and we dislike him. He's, I think he's the one trying to hit on the 13-year-old. Yeah, he's got her in his car. And it gets stuck in the mud. And she's saying, like, I got to get back home because I've been um, I've been sneaking out. And some there's this masked person. The mask probably is something from the 60s, I'm guessing now. But I didn't recognize it. Is. It is. I read up on it, but I didn't write it down because I didn't really care that much. But it is really creepy. And he sneaks up on Waldo, who's trying to dig out the back tires and... It's a gruesome kill scene. That's okay. So this is kind of where the film really turns because there's already a kill, but not like this. Like the the design of this killer with that mask is awesome because it's so creepy coming through the dark like that. Yeah. And then the kills are very uh, Michael Myers like. Like they're just methodical with like no emotion. Yeah. It's just like shoving a knife into a watermelon over and over like it's really yeah it's pretty dark and we should also talk about the score again in addition to the score there's an incredible soundtrack you know uh some really great songs playing throughout this whole movie but in this whole moment we've got a song by the birthday party shivers which is like my all-time favorite birthday party song is playing and i had just heard that song 
in another movie called Dogs in Space, which is a really awesome Australian film. And so, and in that film, the song's really well placed, but in this too. And so I'm like, how could this get any cooler? This is in a rare moment where it checks all the boxes for me because the kill is really creepy and the tone is really disturbing. The mask is awesome. And you've got the birthday party playing. Like mm-hmm. everything about this is so cool. It's actually this chase scene that I find much more frightening. So the the 13-year-old, maybe 13-year-old girl starts running when she realizes what's happened. She runs through the forest. It's this crazy chase scene. She sees the party, but it's so loud. And she falls into the pool. So like she's been stabbed like in her leg or something, which was really gross. Oh, it's really creepy. And she falls into the pool and says, I can't swim. And she's trying to grab at the sides of the pool. And he's stabbing her hands while wearing a mask. So she grabs on like the floaties that stretch across and he cuts it. And she's like screaming and drowning. But Pete is inside and he's like, do you hear something? Well, the super rad party's continuing and his girl is like, no, I don't hear anything and he's like no I hear something and then he spots her and he runs out and the masked person just sort of disappears reveals himself by taking off the mask and it's just Pete's friend and he continues on the girl is saved and survives so the 13 possible 13 year old does not die but it was so spooky how he's like stabbing at her every time she tries to grab the edge of the wall or do anything to save her life and is just watching her drown. Yeah, and so this is when we start to realize that the killer, or, you know, will be plural later, but the killer is just kind of void of all emotion. Like, Very methodical. Well, like they've been brainwashed, and that's what's really cool. What? It, you know, mm-hmm. it makes it really scary is that uh, there's something about a killer who doesn't respond to normal social cues yeah it's very weird and so the next day the dad's questioning all of the people who were witnesses to this event and that is interrupted because the body of i think it's the mayor's son but we never actually see it which is the only real bummer in this because you can see it's like a body that's a scarecrow i read up on that and that was cut and I don't know because it later got a DVD release that had several scenes put back in that had been oh. edited out. I don't know, but that's basically she saw it when she was driving. And yeah, the the boy is positioned up like a scarecrow, but yeah. dead. And they cut that whole scene out, which is such a bummer because all you see is the hand yeah. up on the posts in the cornfield and they're looking at it. And I'm like, oh, I just want to see that shot so bad. And the way that it's edited makes it a little unclear. And you just kind of parse together that it's probably the mayor's son uh, as you watch the movie. But the son goes to his first appointment to make the money for paying for his college application or whatever. And he officially meets uh, the doctor or assistant, Gwen Parkinson, who is, I'm just going to call her Dr. Babe. Yo, yeah, she's, I mean, that's what I was saying about this film. Everybody is just so cool looking, but she is like a total babe. She's like Betty Page level babe. Yeah, she's mixed like, she's got the Betty Page slash Blade Runner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Really cool looking. Although, and like, no shade on her. She's a babe and a half. But I feel like she doesn't know how to walk. It's very weird. (laughs) 
Okay. It's noteworthy. Well, she doesn't really have to because she just looks so cool. It's uh, Maybe it's robotic. She's played by Fiona Lewis, who um, is obviously of inner space fame. <laughs> Why haven't we covered inner space I've yet? never seen it. What? Never. Yeah. you. That's one that you know. I, I don't. I've never seen inner space. It probably doesn't hold up but as i recall dennis quaid is at his most charming and he's in somebody's body Hmm. (laughs) dennis quaid is here (laughs) (laughs) okay so he goes in and she just gives him a pill to make him smart but he does meet caroline the receptionist who's also like a minor babe yeah she's from uh, rock and roll high school Right. And she, he kind of creepily asks her out on a date. He, like, lurks where they're at until she's closing and then he leaps out and he's like, I made you pee your pants. Can I take you out to dinner? Well, I got the impression that she's already in college and he's a high schooler still. So he's, like, really into her because she's, like, an older chick. Yeah. Yeah, that was the vibe for sure. And they go out to dinner and she orders liver. That's this whole scene is where it kind of loses me with uh, they don't know what teenagers do because they're both drinking wine, Mm -hmm. which I was like, that is not uh, teenagers do not go out to dinner and order wine and liver. No, that's just not what happens. And he's supposed to have taken a smart pill. So he speaks in really bad French and tries to order fancy. And she's like, no, bro, I'm having a liver. Yeah, and he's like, well, then just bring me a cheeseburger. (laughs) He's really mad. But this is also important because we're seeing that whatever that pill was is something, it's having an effect on him that's a little off. Yeah, it was weird. And then they are like kind of building a trusting relationship where he's like, my mom died of asthma. And then she's like, cool, let me show you my bedroom. And so (laughs) that happens. And now let's go back. You remember how I said Mrs. Haskell was their maybe like nanny maid? I don't know. Yeah, this is a great scene. It is. So Mrs. Haskell doesn't work with just Pete and his dad. She has like other families. And she is going to the house of Timothy, who is, an I think, a 12 or 11 year old, which she reveals in random dialogue to herself. And... There is a really incredibly long scene of her as she's walking around the house being like, Timothy, why aren't you talking to me? And like smiling, which is really, really weird. It's very long and drawn out, too long. But eventually she finds Timothy in the bathtub and he's had a hand cut off. And then she calls for help and collapses on the bed for a moment, which honestly, if I found somebody with their hand cut off dead, I wouldn't lay face down in a bed for just a minute. There's a really great moment here, though, where she's calling and in the background, the closet door is like slowly opening to reveal just black in there. You never see anybody come out. It's like it's the it's so eerie and it adds so much tension to the scene because you're just looking behind her at this closet slowly opening but it just builds the tension that you clearly get that there's somebody else in the house Mm -hmm. you just don't see them yet and i just i love this whole scene it's so bizarre and disturbing yeah it's good i'd say the lead up is tremendously too long but she does 
um, eventually get up and realize that Timothy isn't leaned, like his body isn't leaned where it previously was. And she goes to like, look, I'm assuming like, holy smokes, is he still alive? I thought he was dead. And he is kind of laid in a different position in this tub. And there's a woman cutting on the body. It's really weird. Just like a woman we haven't really seen much of just as beyond an as an extra Uh, it's a it's a really dark scene because she's like hacking at this kid's body Mm -hmm. and then just with no emotion and no hesitation gets up and starts running after her i mean and this this whole scene is so brutal because the old lady is trying to turn the corner down the stairs Mm mm-hmm and she reaches over and just stabs her, like, really, like, funk, you know, yeah. into her. It's just, this is one of the things I love about this film, is that the kills are, they're just void. Like, they're they are dark. They're really dark. Yeah, and Mrs. Haskell, as she's dying, she falls on the floor, and the phone is ringing, and she picks it up and gives a description of the killer. She describes her as, like, a 20-something brunette who's overweight. And then has her throat slit. Yes. Yeah, but it's very, it's a key moment in this film that there's a detail that she's overweight. (laughs) So this was uh, definitely an 80s moment because then the police are like, oh, she's overweight. Give me all the files on the weights of women in this town. Like, who has that, first of all? And they're definitely not using nice terms no i mean it's like so over the top not okay that it's so offensive it's pretty funny like it gets to a point where it's just amusing because of how blunt they are with focusing only on finding overweight women in this film oh my gosh (laughs) it's like it's just a classic 80s moment yeah yeah it's pretty bad and the dad decides ah they've had a weight loss thing at the lab this is kind of where we learn the dad has a beef with the lab and he's like i gotta get up there and see all their files on ladies who are not thin yeah well he's got beef with the the weird dead scientist doctor guy yeah which we'll kind of get to so meanwhile pete goes back to the lab because it's time for his second treatment remember he first had a pill now he's got something else then he gets his cash money and this time, instead of a pill, Dr. Babe decides she's going to strap him into a chair and stab him in the eye with a needle. And she's getting ready. And we have all of these like moments where the dad is there. And you're like, he's going to get saved. And the girlfriend, Caroline, the receptionist, almost opens the door. And you're like, he's going to get saved. Nope. Needle in the eyeball. This is really cool. This reminds me of Dr. Caligari mm-hmm. when she pulls up the needle because she's got the same kind of cool hair. It also reminds me of um, Planet Terror, uh, the Robert Rodriguez oh, film, yeah. when the nurse pulls up the needle. Yeah. And I definitely did not think she was going to shove it in his eye. And not only does she shove it in his eye, we get it in the full shot, like the needle going in. Oh, man, it's so cool. Yep, it's pretty rough. You squirmed a lot in that scene. Uh, Yeah, I have a problem with needles. I mean, tattoos are totally different, but surgical needles, they get me. (laughs) This one's over (laughs) the top. That's my thing, yeah, I can't do it. So he wakes up 
much later and the doctor babe thanks him tells him to pick up his check he's really confused and out of it and then the doctor goes to an 80s computer and she's like beep boop beep time to kill your dad yeah <laughs> like that message shoots through space into his brain. I don't know. Meanwhile, the dad and Louise are having a conversation. And this is where it's really revealed that the dad hates uh, the dead doctor from the recording, Lassange. And L- uh, Nurse Ratchet, the Louise woman, is chewing her gum in a way that... Yeah, I, it's so distracting. Oh, I wanted to like my goodness. Yeah. My soul screamed at that gum chewing. Yeah, I could hardly pay attention to the rest of the. I film. really wanted to shout at the TV like I'm so mad. Spit out your gum. I know. Yeah. If you chew gum and you're listening to this podcast, fine. Do it in the privacy of your own home if you must. It's gross, but chew with your mouth closed, you monster. And anything, just chew with your mouth closed. Yeah. Yeah, this scene's really distracting. I'm not paying attention to anything she's saying because I'm just staring at her chewing the whole time. Yeah, it's true. So the dad is just sure that Lassange is still alive and behind all of these dead teenagers and adults. He's drawing some, like, connections that nobody else is able to. Meanwhile, his son, (laughs) in the weirdest scene, goes to get a steak because... I don't know why, with Caroline, and then he passes out and goes and pees blood. Two things here. (laughs) How does a needle to your eye make you urinate blood? Those two things are not connected. so much blood. So much. And number two, I don't care how dizzy you are, if you can't pee straight, you sit down. Yeah, he's not peeing in that toilet. He's peeing everywhere but the toilet. It's a great scene. It's really funny. I... Backing up, though, to the conversation with uh, gum chewing, what is important (laughs) is that this is laying a lot of character development because it's basically like their relationship with the husband and her can't really move forward because he is so obsessed with what had happened in the past. To his wife. and, And his girlfriend is like, look, I thought we had finally gotten past this and you're bringing it all up again. And Mm -hmm. so... She sells the scene really well, actually. Like, the way she says, you know, I can't keep dealing with this because I thought we'd move past this. And that's important because it's giving the dad a little depth as to why he's sort of starting to unhinge here in the movie. Like, he's starting to get a little irrational with his decisions. Mm -hmm. It's because he's so singularly focused on this doctor. Yeah, and, like, let's just spill it all here. His dead wife worked for Lassange and had finally put in her notice because bad things were happening there. And then she mysteriously died of, air quotes, asthma. But really, the dad never believed it and always suspected Lassange. Meanwhile, Lassange is dead, or is he? The dad is now convinced Lassange is not dead, goes to the graveyard with his girlfriend, who... Honestly, girl, like, move somewhere else. (laughs) That's red flags. That's major (laughs) red flags. But she just, instead of, like, going, you know what? I don't think there's space for me in this situation. She goes, let me put on a teenager's letterman jacket over a prom dress. I don't know what that outfit's about. Why is she dressed like a 16-year-old? No idea. But they go, and together, kind of together, open Lassange's grave and find only leg bones. 
I actually like that scene. Well, it's it funny. was. It would have been more clear if the whole coffin had been opened that there were only leg bones, because really it just looks like you've opened the bottom part of a coffin. Yeah. Okay, so the dad and the son return back home. Like everybody goes home. Pete's home because he's peeing blood. Dad's home because he's crazy and is loading guns. And then everybody separates again. And this really brings us to our grand finale. Our dad is going like gung-ho. He's going to shut down this lab. He's going to find Lassange. He's going to shut down Dr. Babe and put an end to all of this. The son now, under the spell because of the eyeball poke is not himself and he has been programmed to remember the computer he's gonna kill his dad he nothing's gonna get in his way not even caroline who he knocks out on the way to the lab yeah this is a pretty strong scene too he like just shoves her head so hard that it smashes the glass in the car and knocks her out it's it's pretty bad. She's okay, don't worry. Well, we find out she's okay because of another one of my favorite random scenes that makes no sense. Are three <laughs> like grown adults playing frisbee in the dark and the frisbee falls by the car and one of them goes over to grab it and is like, whoa, wait a minute. And there's a knocked out woman in the car, passed out. But I'm like, who is throwing a frisbee, running around town throwing a frisbee with your friends? Dude, we, at w- night? we went to college in Missoula, Montana. Oh, that's a good point. This is a college that town. That is straight up something you saw regularly. Yeah. Okay. You're right. No, you're right. I take it all back. Okay. So she's knocked out. She's fine. Just don't worry about her right now. Dad and son end up locked in a room together and Dr. Babe's on a screen and she's like, ha ha ha, guess what? You're trapped. And cool scene, actually. Her on the TV. That's it a really is. a cool looking scene. Because she's Dr. Babe. Her cheekbones are bananas. <laughs> and then Dr. Lassange comes out, minus legs, in a wheelchair. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Why? First of all, I've got a big question here. Oh, no, I know exactly what you're going to ask. Why Why does he not have legs? Yeah. Was it just to fill a coffin in case, you know, X amount of years later, the policeman goes and looks only for legs? I think so. I don't know, but it's really funny. So his legs... He's there, minus legs, and he's been wearing prosthetics to make him look old. Yeah, why? Mm. So I feel like there were some scenes cut. I agree, because they're like, that's why we killed, because the mayor is the one who sided with me, and that's why his son was killed. And I think Timothy's dad was also involved, so that kind of makes sense. But what about the Waldo guy? Like, why was he killed? And what's with all the, like, extra stabbing? And why did the 13-year-old almost get killed? Yeah, there's not only that, but, yeah, the, the like, makeup and stuff, too. There's I just feel like some, some things must have gotten cut. I've not Lost seen the DVD, but I really want to because I want to I know if that fills in some of these holes in the film. I think these holes are too deep. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, we get the grand reveal. He... He rolls out in a wheelchair like uh, Lopan. It's pretty funny. In a show of controlling him, gives him a knife and and makes him slit his own wrists first. Oh, yeah. Which is actually a pretty gruesome scene. Well, that was really unnecessary, too, because if you're about to ask somebody to stab, 
why would you have them slit their wrists? Because there's really a pretty good chance you'd cut some tendons and those fingers wouldn't work correctly. And he's going straight up them. And then he says, but don't worry, he won't, we won't harm him because we have a use for him. Oh, but before I forget. Yeah? We should probably get to this week's fun facts. Oh. <laughs> Okay, I've got four for you again. I forgot, yes. And you have to decide which one's the real one. Oh no. Number one, on topic. Pete actually cut himself in that scene as part of his method acting. Oh. Number two. Peter Jackson was considered as the crazy doctor originally to be cast. That's too weird. Number three. This was actually the first horror film ever shot in New Zealand. Or number four, like legend, Tangerine Dream was brought in to completely replace the original score. Oh, those are tough. I'm going to eliminate one and two. Because I I can't imagine Peter Jackson in this. Okay. (laughs) Number two, I don't think he was method acting. I could believe that he cut himself, but he doesn't seem like a method actor. Okay. I mean, Billy the Kid was pretty realistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. What else have we got? Tangerine Dream. And what was the other one? That it was the first horror film shot in New Zealand. Shoot. I want that to be true. I'm going to guess that one. That it is? Yeah. You got it. I did! Yes. Strange Behavior was officially the very first horror film ever shot in New Zealand. Wild! 1981. That's crazy. What's going on in New Zealand? Wouldn't be the last. Again, shout out to Peter Jackson. He's going to take that and run with it. Wow. Yeah. That's a really fun fact. Good job. Thanks. I'm so happy I got it right, though, because I blew it last time. So, let's get back to our big reveal. Okay. He's asked to kill his father. Yes. And? He does. He stabs his dad to death. But his dad is not the sheriff. Nope. Dr. Lassange is the father. Oh. Twist. It's a good kill, too. Stabbed him a couple times in the neck. He's like, hey, pops, I'm killing you. It's pretty cool. Yeah. He doesn't say that. I just made that up. And then it wraps it up and they pull him away in the ambulance. But then we get a little post scene here <laughs> of a wedding, yeah, which, those... you know, it is a little out of place. Like, I don't know if it was needed, but I do get why they did it. And it's because this whole story of the father has been caught up in trying to solve the true story. Yeah. And now he can move on with his life and get married and like finally do something. Yeah, it's him getting married to Louise. And it's also kind of weird because everyone like who's in the movie like a random teacher the 13 yeah. year old girl they're all just smiling at this wedding they're like mm-hmm. did seem like a small town though yeah it did and so he gets married they're all smiling to slow music and then i think it's really weird really super weird last line because pete's talking to caroline who's now like officially his girlfriend and he's like i just kept thinking he just looks so great <laughs> Yeah, at least he had pants on for this scene. Well, this was a really interesting one. Um, It was not really received well Mm -hmm. 
as everything we cover on this podcast, <laughs> it got a huge cult following later on. Yeah. Got a DVD release. They restored those missing scenes. And then finally, I think in 2014, maybe, or something like that, it got a Blu-ray release, which we do not have. And I definitely would like that. So it's gotten some love now. It's been kind of given that treatment. So for the people who have seen it, I mean, I think people that I know that have seen it all really do dig this film because it's just... It is cool. It is cool. It's just different. It's just it's a cool offering from 1981, and it definitely stands out from other films of that year. Mm-hmm. So it's worth a watch. Um, what is your your overall thoughts on it after seeing it for the first time? Well, my number one thought is they had a lot of pop cans or soda cans, if you're weird, and... They had weird tabs. I'm wondering if that's a New Zealand thing or an 80s thing. So that was my number one takeaway. But number two is that it was a really cool film. I enjoyed watching it. I think there was a lot of artistry there. Of course, some of it was lost in translation through editing or whatever. I'm not sure. But I really enjoyed it. It was so fun to not know how it was all going to play out. Yeah, I, I'll say there's definitely some dropped moments, some missing scenes, yeah. some missed marks, but it doesn't matter with this film because what it makes up with, the score, the cinematography, the story, the acting is really solid, mm-hmm. the sets are really cool, it's the tone, it's it's just got it, and so it's definitely worth a watch. Um Overall, yeah, pretty awesome. So I'm glad you liked it. I figured you would with this one. Sometimes I I misjudge, but this one I felt like it, you would get it. Yeah. And this is the second time I've watched it, and it was way better even the second time. You enjoyed I, it more the second oh, yeah. time? And I already loved it, but I was able to like not have to focus on all, like, what, what am I watching? Yeah. Because I already knew where the story was going, and then I could really enjoy some of the subtleties that I didn't catch the first time. Sure. But man, that party scene is um, cool. Man, is it cool. I still want to go to that party. Yeah. Well, that's where we'll be after this podcast. Bye. We should recreate a, a party like that. I like the idea of the theme of all 60s costumes, too. All 60s costumes, but an 80s party. Well, I just think a, a, a party where it's themed, not just like uh, a Halloween party, Mm-hmm. But, like, everybody has to dress as a character from that or something like that. I like it. That would be fun. We should make some more friends first, and then we can have a cool okay. party. Because we've yeah. got, like, eight friends. Okay, well, you're overselling it. Okay. We've got our podcast listeners. You're invited. <laughs> okay, everybody. Well, that is this episode of Strange Behavior, a.k.a. Dead Kids from 1981. Track it down. Check it out. It's definitely worth it. If you liked what you heard, uh, you can listen to all of our back episodes at lasergraves.com. You can follow us on Instagram at lasergraves. As always, uh, go check out our friends and support them. Bad Taste Video, Reconcinimation, all those guys. But I did want to give a special shout out. There's some new kids on the block. Um, NKOTB. Yeah, some uh, listeners of our show and and friends of, of both us and Bad Taste Video. A new podcast called Dead with My Friends, which is a horror movie podcast. And I love that title. It's a really good. They just launched their pilot and it's a lot of fun. And so they're now on the scene. So go give them a follow and listen to if you want to get some more horror podcasts. So that is it for this week. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 
Bye. Bye.